theyeshiva.net. So we discovered here in this Maimon Torah of the Balatanya, Chayev Inish Lepsumah Poyad Layada, this fascinating idea that Torah could be understood in layers. It's like Lahav, uh, you know, there's the seven layer cake, and here's the 3,000 layered, uh, layered cake. But in the layer cake, of course, there's no big, great uh, difference in quality between the higher layer and the lower layer. But the point is, there are many, many layers. You know, the onion has many layers, and you peel one layer, and you get to the other layer. <coughs> and each layer is a mushal legabe, the layer above it, which is a mushal legabe, the layer above it, which is a mushal legabe, the layer above it. So that means that, say, a person is learning Mishnayas, Gemara, Halacha, and they understand it, and that's Torah. And yet on another level, it's really only a mushal. It's really a metaphor. It's really a parable, an allegory for a concept. And that concept has to be extracted from the mushal. The mushal is just the prelude, it's the package. Also them learning that is also a mushal for something else, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. every kind is true, every halacha, every concept, every mitzvah, every posik, every mishnah, every gemara, and so forth. So... Uh, so, you know, you speak about Shat, Remes, Drush, Sod, and in each one there's, there's end, literally endless layers of interpretation. And each one is true. Each one is legitimate. Each one is Torah. So it's really, you know, sometimes a person could their whole life just hear a mushal. They never get to the nimshal. All they have is just the mushal. They know the mushal very well. You know, they're medayik in the mushal, and they, they dissect the mushal, and and yes, it's extremely significant because here even the mushal is holy. It's not like not like a mushal, you know, in a speech. You're giving a mushal. You just want people to get the message. Here, the mushal itself is part of the message, but on another level, it's only a mushal, and it's there to bring you to the nimshal. And that's how Toyota, That's how that's how Toyota, Toyota works. And yes, you could spend your whole life only on the first layer, only on that mushal. Not even see that there is there is a nimshal. And so Shleim HaMelech can articulate this on 3,000 levels, 3,000 levels of understanding. And he says, and ultimately, they're all rooted in what's called Chachma Ilah, Hashem's supernal wisdom. And that's a mashal, mashal HaKadmoini. That's a mashal for Kadmoini, which is God himself, Kadmoini Shaloylam, who even transcends intellect, who transcends Chachma. And this is the explanation Tremendous explanation. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin that Kol And he said, "How can this be? One person is Yotze saying Kriya Shema in the morning for him is enough Talmud for the day. One Perik in the morning, if he's if he can't anything else, either because of his skill or his knowledge or his busyness, whatever it is, the type of work he has to support, and he has an obligation to support his his family. That's an obligation in Torah." So, uh, I can't resist. Somebody told me a very cynical joke. He said that in a certain community, they want to be mater polygamy. You should be able to marry again two wives because one is not enough to support the family. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you can't live on one income. You can't live on one income, yeah. So that's what he said. So he said, and here a Jew is learning and he has a few moments he can learn. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, like this union of Bittel Torah. He says, the Vartas, the Gemara says, Ashley Misha Balakan Talmudai Biyada. The Gemara says, fortunate is a person who comes to Talmudai Biyada. Why? There's no, the, 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 you can't get the Nimshal without the Mashal. And if you get 50% of the Mashal, you won't get part of the Nimshal. And if you get 90% of the Mashal, you won't get part of the Nimshal. And if you get 99% of the Mashal, there's still something of the Nimshal that you can't get. In other words, every Nikudah of the Mashal is what allows you to experience the Nimshal. So he says, on a Shama that Bahashgacha can't learn more than one chapter in the morning, more chapter in the evening, the Nimshal that they have to achieve, they will achieve through this Mashal, through this Torah. But in a Shama that has the time to learn, the Nimshal that their soul is craving and is connected to, they need every moment that God gave them because without that Mashal, they'll never be able to experience that nimshal. And what's going to happen? He carries to carries. Part of their soul gets cut off from that nourishment, from those vitamins, from that nutrition, from that relationship, from that relationship with Hashem that they could only experience through the mushal in its entirety. And, uh, and uh, so that's how he explains the Gemara. You know, we see he carries to carries. What we hear is, you know, the, 
Huh? The wrath of God. The wrath, you know, pathological vengeance. It's like one second you, you know, one second you walk out to buy a can of coke, you know. You walk out of a smedrish to buy a can of coke, you just know your soul is going to get cut off. You remember those days, huh? You say you didn't come back to hear this, huh? You didn't come back 30 years later to hear this. But really what the Balatanya is saying is such a beautiful idea. In other words, the chorus is the lost opportunity of the of of every nekuda, every moment is giving you another part of the marshal, which will help you get the nimshal that you can only get through the marshal. You know, it would be like uh, in a very well built speech or or shear or class or lecture, and then you missed uh, you missed you know one prelude or one introduction or one illustration, and then there's just a certain dimension that you can't get. So there, it's just in terms of information. Here, it's in terms of experience that the soul will be lacking that nimshal. Okay, so really the whole Torah, every element of Torah is a marshal, and it takes you to another level, which can then take you to another level, and you strip, you literally, you, you, you strip, you flay, you flay the layers after layers, deeper and deeper. Vihinei, Zachu Yisro, we're holding at the paragraph that starts Vihinei, which is on page 196, column 2. Vihinei, let's now understand. Yisrael, uh, let me just give a, a brief intro so we should understand what he's getting to. He's explaining that Torah was Mashal HaKadmaini, through Chachmas HaTorah, on all of its layers, one can then experience something even deeper than that, which is Kadmaini Shal Olam Hashem, Hashem, Hashem Himself. And essentially, this was the experience of Matan Torah. What was Matan Torah? Matan Torah was not just an information session. In other words, Hashem said, let me give you information. Here are the ten mitzvahs, and then I'll give you all of the halachas and all the information. In fact, it says that the Avis observed the whole Torah before it was given, which would mean that Matan Torah essentially was superfluous. The whole experience of Matan Torah, because they knew it. The Gemara says in Yuma, there was a yeshiva even in Egypt. Oh, there was always a yeshiva with the Avis, with the Shvatim, and so forth. So the concept of Torah and even mitzvahs existed before. What happened by Matan Torah is... There was the gili of Kadmoinoy Shal Oilam. In other words, they experienced the Shechina. They experienced Hashem. Hashem in the Torah. And this was one of the Chidushim of Maimed Har Sinai. Because it's true that Torah is Mashal HaKadmoinoy and it gives you access to Hashem Himself. But a person could learn Torah and not experience the Dveikus in the King. It doesn't take away the fact that he's hugging the king, but he doesn't even experience that he's here. So the Torah was given in a way that you could separate Torah from Hashem. The Torah just becomes an intellectual exercise. You don't feel the nimshal. You don't get the nimshal of Torah. You just don't get the energy of Torah. And certainly not the source of it, the Kadmoin Shalaylam. That's what's possible. By Matan Torah, that didn't exist. That separation was not possible because it was Hashem. Anoichi is anon nafshik savis yahavis. My soul, my soul wasn't Torah. In order for a person to be able to experience that, the first step is always an openness, a humility. To be able not to feel like a master of Torah, but really to become an open student to Torah. That's a sense of bitl of humility, allows a person to experience that. So he says, V'hinei, Yisrael, Zachel, Amatim, Torah, Ayde, Yisrael, Nikolas, Mitzrayim, B'chaymer, B'levein. The Jews experience Matan Torah through the pain of Golas Mitzrayim. The Chaymer is the mortar, the Levainim is the bricks. In other words, that experience in Mitzrayim opened them up to the opportunity to experience Matan Torah. There's no way for a person to be able to be open to the flow of infinity, of God's energy, only in a place where there is bittel, a place where there is real humbleness, a place where the person opens themselves up and is transparent. Because if I remain in my protective gear, my defense mechanisms, so then all I can experience is that which relates to my own ego. I'm not open to something that's above me, that's, that's transcendent. Even in human conversation, if somebody criticizes you, I mean constructively, I don't mean somebody who's just trying to embarrass or put you down, but somebody who, who criticizes, right? So very often what happens, we just develop a defense mechanism and we start thinking how bad that person is. You know, you're just this, you're just this, what am I doing? Basically, I can't even listen to what you're saying because I'm so busy protecting myself. So what would the concept of bittel mean? The concept of bittel would mean 
that a person actually is so confident that they would not melt through criticism, the criticism will not destroy them because their sense of identity is not based on delusional perfection. If my sense of identity is based on delusional perfection and you come to me and you say, you know, you really... uh, So now you're trying to make... You're trying to bust... uh, to bust the balloon, you're putting a needle into the balloon, I'm going to fight back, because you're taking all the air out of me. But what if a person's identity is rooted in a deeper confidence, in a much deeper confidence which does not get created through compliments and does not get destroyed through criticism? Validation doesn't create it, and criticism doesn't destroy it. So here the person is actually open to something that is beyond themselves, including to correct, because they can actually listen to criticism and experience being present in humility without, with, and it's not called death. It's a very interesting exercise. <laughs> For many of us it's called death. It's like, I have to reject you mentally. I have to reject what my wife said or what my friend said or what my child said or what this one said, especially if my mother said it, because if I accept it, if I absorb it, it's almost like... Uh, so you become the evil nutcase, and I'm the normal one, and then we move on in life. So some people explode, some people implode, but it's the same concept. They cannot be present with it. Why? Because essentially their identity is very shallow. It's based on a, a beautiful, perfect bubble, and if you tamper with it, it's not going to work. So I'm going to run away, or I'm going to crush you, right? You know the t-shirt, I'm very easy to get along with once you learn to worship me. <laughs> then it's going to work. What does bittel really mean? Bittel really means a humility which allows for a very deep confidence and a confidence that allows for a very deep humility in which a person's identity is not based on delusional perfection. A person's identity is essential and that includes the ability of growth and make mistakes and, and accountability, not the need for perfection. And then I actually can cherish it and I could be present in it, because there's an openness. There's a complete openness in it. Now this, Bittal, exists on many, many different layers and many, many different levels. He says, Mitzrayim created a tremendous openness in the Jewish people, to the point that they can actually experience infinity, they can experience God's voice, they can experience God's presence. Because there will never be a gili of Oyrein Saif, in a place of arrogance, of trying to control everything, you could never experience that which comes above, that which is higher than your parameters. You're not even open to that. Just like some people can't hear another opinion, they just, they just can't. So even if you are, could hear another opinion, some people are just not capable of opening themselves up to an experience of infinity. Now God, we don't know much about God. All we know about God is that He's not what we think He is. That's the most we could say about Hashem. And it's actually the best thing we could say. What He is, I don't know. But what He for sure is not what you think He is and not what you make Him to be. Not what you make Him to be. So how do I even have a relationship with that? The only one way. Complete openness. This is complete bittal. Complete openness to that experience which I have to allow to shock me, you know, to, 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 to I have to say this mundane joke that I heard from a lecture the other day. Yogi Berra just died uh, a few months ago, so he once asked his wife, uh, his wife once asked him, she said, Yogi, where do you want me to bury you? He says, what's the problem? She says, well, here's the problem. You were born in New Jersey, you live in Missouri, and you played for New York. So where should I bury you? So he said, surprise me. <laughs> so, so the point is, you have to be able to surprise yourself. And the ability to surprise yourself is an openness that you could be wowed by something transcendent. But if you turn God into an image and you just put him in a box, you know, when you're 12 years old, and that's who he is, and that's what you worship, and that's what you do, you're not open really to any divine experience because it's just, it's basically an image. You created your own image. Your image may be a little more abstract than other images, but it's essentially an image. It's a boxed image. This is what he is, and this is... This is what I, uh, what I worship. The Svasemis says there was a Yid, the Yid HaKadosh. The Yid HaKadosh was, uh, was one of the great uh, Polish Rebbes, uh, Rebbes in Poland. He was, his student was Rebbe Simcha of Pshischa. 
so uh, his name was Rabbi Akavitzel Korbinowitz. They called him the Yid HaKadosh. Some says, why they call him the Yid HaKadosh? The holy, every Jew is a holy Jew. He says, because every day for him, his avoid every day was, he reinvented himself, like from a non-Jew to a Jew, every single day. He was never worshipping the God from yesterday. The fact that I was a Jew yesterday, that was yesterday. Every day, he became a new Jew. He, became, he reinvented himself completely. That's called a relationship. A relationship is, yeah, the says that marriage in halacha is a pu'ulun imsheches. Kiddushin can't happen once. He says it has to be ongoing. In other words, status quo is divorce. That's status quo. You want to be married? Every moment you have to be married. You can't, a football is not in the year. You want the football to stay in the air? You throw it, it falls, you throw it again. You have to recreate the experience because it's not natural. Gravity pulls it down. The laws of gravity say a man and a woman are supposed to be separated. If you don't believe me, you can go to New York, you can go to Los Angeles, you can ask people. That's the fact. Kedushin is anti-status quo. In other words, it's a chiddush. Two opposites becoming one. One plus one equals two. Marriage says one plus one equals one. That doesn't make sense. So you have to recreate that miracle every moment. So I we do Kedushin once. He says in Halacha, Kedushin is a Pu'ulanim Shechus. It's a one act, but it's really, the Halacha continues it. It's like, it's con- it's like recreation. That's what he tines. In Halacha, he brings his rayas from Gemara. So they say a Maisa that, uh, they say a Maisa that Reb Chaim Brisker, it's a Maisa they say, once met him. They were Chavrusas' children, and then their paths were somewhat... Similar, but also very divergent. Yeah, the brisket derech different than the rakachavas derech. The Sereb Chaim brisket met him, and he he heard this yisod, and he says, "Mazel tov." He says for what? He says for the chasna. He says which chasna? He says for your wedding. Married. He says, "Well, you say that you keep on getting married every moment. So you just got married. You say mazel tov." He says, "No, no, no. The mazel tov that you told me at the wedding is also nimshach, so it's fine." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got him back. That's why I say the that's, that's why if I get has to be creases, there can't be any strings attached yeah, because yeah. the creases has to go. Otherwise, yeah. the condition is yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, mela, so in other words, there's a, a relationship means you're constantly you're constantly creating it. So, a relationship with Hashem is also it's a constant thing. It's not. There's a relate. I have a relationship. What do you mean you have a relationship with him? Were you open to the relationship? So by Mitzrayim, there was a tremendous sense of humility of Bittel that allowed this to happen. This was the concept of Nasal and Nishma. It says they said we'll we'll do before Nishma. What does this mean? It's not just they said we'll do. It's the concept that they, they, their whole Ratzin, they said, I don't have my own Ratzin. Whatever you want, that's my will. It's not like I'll agree to do what you want. It's much deeper than that. It's not I'll agree to do what you want. It's that my will is, your will is my will. It's not, you'll tell me to do it, I'll do it even if I don't understand it. You know why? I think you're great, I trust you, whatever. You probably have my, my good, you, you, you probably care for me, so I'll do it. It's that Nasev and Nishma, the idea here is, what you want, that is my will. In a my will is your will. That's a much deeper level of a relationship. Avoidus Hashem, the real Eved, it's not my master wants this and I'm not in the mood, but I'll do it anyway because I have no choice. It's the person, my, what, what, your, what your opinion is, that is my opinion. My Ratzin L'Chatchila is your Ratzin. That is your Ratzin. He's talking obviously a, a, an Eved who's dedicated on that level. Yeah. Everybody learns Nasa V'Nishma they said Nasa before Nishma. He said, no, if you want Nishma, you need Nasa. In order to be able to hear, to open yourself up to God's message, you really have to be able to go out of your own obsessions, of your own Ritzayinus. In order for there to be Nishma, there had to be a Nasa. You wouldn't be able to hear without that Nasa. How does Nasa mean Bittol? How does Nasa mean Bittol? Well, what he means by Nasa is that the Jewish people agreed upon themselves to do whatever he's going to tell them regardless what he's going to tell them, even before they knew what he's going to tell them, because basically what they were saying is that my Ratzin, right? My Ratzin is what you want. That is my will. That is my will. I'm comfortable with that will. My Ratzin is what you want. So therefore, what are you, you don't have to tell me what you're going to tell me. If this is what you want, this is what I want. That's Nasa. 
Once that can happen, then there could be a nishma. Then they could be open to the gilui of Eirei Tzayparach. Ach kadei sheyavoyu lebchines bittul zedak damas nasel nishma. How does a person reach this? Sharei biitzias mitzayim hoyu adayim lebchines katnos veich yavoyu lebchines bittul gadol kaza. How does a person even begin such a process? When they left Mitzrayim, they were in a state of primitiveness. How does a person even have such a such a such a relationship? He says, This is the idea that he took the mountain, the Gemara says in Shabbos, and he turned it over like a he put it on their head like an overturned vat. A gigis is like a you know a big barrel. You know you overturn it. And he put this mountain and he says, this is it. If not, so how does everybody learn it? Basically, you know, it's like you take your collar, you put her under an elevator, and you say, okay, I'm in love with you, I want to marry you. If you say yes, great. And if not, the elevator shaft will come right down. The relationship will not be... So that's how we understand the Gemara. Hashem took a mountain and he said, if you take it, good. If not, you'll be buried under this mountain. Says the Balatanya, it's a very strange thing to do if you want to marry somebody. Yeah. If you want a good relationship. So he says, what's the Kafalem Harkegigis? The Kafalem Harkegigis was actually a teddy bear hug. It was a Yemine Techapkeni. You say there's other ways of hugging and putting a mountain over your head. We'll see in a moment. His right arm embracing me. He revealed his infinite love to the Jew. And when you feel his love, real explosive love embraces you and engulfs you from every side to the point you can't get out of it. Like, even your back. When I hug you, when I kiss you, I don't let you leave me. I force you to look me face in the face. There's different ways of expressing love. I could kiss you, so I kiss you on the face. I can look at you, I could say I love you, I can touch you, I can give you something. But then there's a hug. What's the uniqueness of a hug? A hug is I don't let you leave. <laughs> a hug is I trap you in my love. And what, which part of you do I hug? Your back. All other expressions of love is to the face. You don't kiss somebody in the back. I mean, it's not the usual thing you do. Hey, you know, give me your neck, give me your back. You don't do that. Give me your cheek. You don't look at somebody in their back. You turn around, let me look at you. You don't give a gift. You say, turn around, I gotta give. You look at somebody in the face. That's the place of their personality, their eyes, their face, their gestures. Where do you do chibuk? The hug is in the back. What does this mean? This means that it's unconditional. It's unconditional. Even your back, in other words, even your lowest space is part of me, and I'm not going to leave go. I can't leave go. What was the Kafalei Marke Gigas? Kafalei Marke Gigas months, they were trapped in the relationship. How they were trapped in the relationship? He showed them so much love, you can't resist it. How could you resist it? Theoretically, you could, but practically, they were forced into the relationship in the sense, what type of force? Forced was, there was so much love that got revealed, they had no way of saying no. There was no way. How could you? It was too sweet. you got to be crazy. It's too good. It's too beautiful. It's too loving for me to reject you. Just impossible. That's what happened. Yeah. The question, how does that stand with the concept that I forced you so that I could never leave the relationship? I could never make again. What I said on Shabbos? Yeah. I think it's the same thing because in halacha it's again that's a marshal for a nimshal. In the marshal, he's just a ma'anes, he's a low life. In the nimshal, it's the idea that Hashem wanted to demonstrate that there's something here that will never be separated. It's unconditional. Yeah, don't think you can get out of it because I can't get out of it. We can get out. We can get out. In other words, it's a muscle. The sense is the relationship is coming from a place that's unalterable. It's not. There's nothing that can destroy it. Often I love you, but there's conditions. You know, if you smack me in the face enough times, it's like goodbye. Have a wonderful life somewhere else. But is it possible? There's a relationship that there's nothing you can do that can destroy the love. That's true with Hashem. Every relationship you can destroy it ultimately. Even your parents. You know, if you're bad enough, <laughs> a 
at some point they may say, maybe not internally, but at some point they may, you know, they'll make boundaries. But Hashem is like, there's nothing you can do that will destroy the relationship. Nothing. It's always connected. So the other way, it doesn't work, though. I wanted to ask Hashem, it's not Yisrael. They're not, they're not forced to stay in that. They could, they could, they could get out of it. Yeah, so we'll soon see the Kiddush of Purim. We'll soon see the Kiddush of Purim. This is all Matan Torah. There was such an explosion of love to the point that the Jew was trapped in it. Not trapped in it because of negativity. <coughs> trapped in it because of positivity. I could not say no. When they saw this of God, they just could not say no. It was too beautiful. It was too majestic. It was too... It was too inviting to say no, you know. I could be on the best diet of the world, on the best diet. But then I come to a certain simcha and you just can't say no. Could you say no theoretically? Yeah. Was I forced to eat it? People say, I was forced to eat it. You weren't really forced to eat it, but you were forced to eat it. Okay, now I know that's a very uh, profane example that hopefully doesn't apply to any of us around this table, (laughs) since everybody looks so good. But you understand the concept. In other words, were you forced? Yeah, you were forced in the sense that it was just too good. It was too good. So that's Rabbi Rice. One second. So what do we see? Kafale Makigigis is a marshal. It's again, it's a marshal. It's representing a certain idea. We here, he put a mountain over us and he forced us. So we immediately associated with the one who smacked us at a certain point, pulled us, you know, pulled us by the ear and threw us out for three weeks. We associate that way. It's really a marshal for a very deep type of relationship in which you're completely embraced to the point I say, you're forced. What does it mean you're forced? You're forced means that it's just so powerful, there's no way you could you could resist it. That's what happened by uh, Martin Taylor. Allow them to okay, we'll continue word. next time. In this Maimer, Chayev Inish Lebesumer Bepuri Adel of the Balatanya Dalterab in we learned last time, he discussed the meaning of the Gemara, Kofaleim Harkegigis, you remember Hashem took the mountain and placed it over the Jewish people's heads like an overturned gigis. A gigis is a uh, a, um, a vat, a vat, a fas. You take a fas, a gigis, a vat, you turn it over, and so to speak, the mountain was like this huge barrel over their heads, if you accept the Torah good. What does this really mean? So he explained that... Um, that um, After a long explanation of what Torah is, which we, we learned about Mashal HaKadmoni, what Torah is, all the layers of Torah deeper and deeper, and the ultimate Torah is a metaphor, a parable which allows you to experience the Kadman, Hashem, Hashem Himself. So He says, for Matan Torah to happen, it had to go through the whole experience of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, which created a tremendous state of Bittl. What is the Bittl? Uh? The Shibud Mitzrayim, yeah. In order to be able to absorb this level, this experience of the divine, there was a tremendous bittle, and real bittle is that the person completely dedicates their will. It's not just that I'll do what you want. That's one level. It's that my will is your will. It's not that I'm nullifying myself to you. I'm subjugating myself to you. I'm like a slave. I despise you, but I have no choice. No, your will is my will. I'm, I'm one with you. My whole will I give over to you. He says, It's not that I have a will, but you're stronger, you're more powerful, I'm afraid, I'm overwhelmed. That's another level. Here you're talking about a real state of bittel. So it's fascinating. Usually we type bittel means you're subservient, you're, so to speak, enslaved. Here it means your will is my will. In other words, complete, complete alignment. He says, that's what a real, real evid, the real evid, when we, we hear slavery, of course, what we hear is bigotry, and, and for good reason, because the way sla- slaves were treated. The real, take Eliezer, was Eved Avri, he says, Eved Avram Anoichi. You'll ask Eliezer, so you're living an abused life? Eliezer would say, no, I lived a great life, but when I recognized who Avram was, it's the biggest thing to be able to become part of Avram. Eved Avram Anoichi. So this was the concept of Nasa. Nasa before Nishma, again, it's not Nasa before Nishma because Nasa has to come before Nishma. He says once there was Nasa, they could be even Nishma. They couldn't be sensitive to hear the divine if there was no alignment on the level of Nasa. How do they experience this? So he says this came from a tremendous love. This level of aligning your will with my will can only come 
if there's a tremendous amount of love. It just could never come out of plain fear. Fear can cause you to to uh, to suppress yourself. It can cause you to force yourself. It can cause you cause you to align your will. Kafaleim harkegigis means there was such love. It's like hugging somebody. You hug somebody, you alone let them go. So yeah, you're forced into the relationship. So in the hug, I'm holding you by force. Here it means the love is so powerful, you can't resist me. It's just too good. It's too delicious. You know, you say, I tried to resist this. I can't. It was too good. It's too delicious. So am I forced into it? Yeah, I'm forced into it in the sense, not forced that I'm doing something against my will, but it's just so gishmaka, was so powerful. That's what he's saying. They saw so much love, it evoked in them a tremendous love, to the point that they said, This is what the Pasuk says. You see where it is? The face that you show to the water, the water shows back to you like a mirror. The heart that you show to a man, he will show back to you. If I love you, you're going to love me. If I despise you, you'll despise me. If I make a sour face into the mirror, that's the face the mirror will make back. So the Pasuk, Shleim HaMelech says in Mishlei, the heart is like a mirror. You know, sometimes, um, uh, it says in Tanya, you know, sometimes there's a person, you just like them, you don't know why. You ever have this mitzis? It's not like you spent years with them. You just like something about them. And very often the reason is because they like you. They love you, so therefore it's not even a choice. It's like a trigger effect. If I love somebody, he doesn't have a choice. He may hate me, but he's going to have to love me. <laughs> if you really love somebody, it's, like, it's pushing a mirror. The mirror doesn't have a choice. If I'm going to show a smiling face to the mirror, the mirror is going to have to smile. Even if the mirror is in a depressed mood. It doesn't help. You say this guy is depressed. If you, sh- if you really, lo- we're not talking if you fake it. If you really love somebody, leva adam ala adam is just like water. It's not a pchir. It's almost like a chemical instinctive reaction. That's what he says in Tanya in chapter 46. It's mechmuchrach. Almost he has no choice. Sometimes it may take a little longer to reveal if he has a lot of toxicity to work through. But the point is, in other words, if you really hate yourself, so then you don't even know how to love. But the point is, you're mukhrach. I really love you, you're going to love me back. It's almost impossible not. Of course, there's exceptions, but uh, yeah. Did they ever say, why is the heart in the left? Yeah, 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 yeah. So he says like this, beautiful touch. Pirush, leva adam ha'alyin. The leva adam is two men, not only two people. The adam ha'alyin, who mashakasav ad musa kisid muskamare adam. Yecheskel says on the kisei ha'kavid, he saw an image of a man that was like Hashem. Shehubchines ramach mitzvisese, the inner ramach yivorim the malke, v'shasa loisaseim, shasa gidin. It says in Zohar, there's 248 mitzvahs, like Hashem's limbs. And the 365 uh, loises, like Hashem's sinews. So Adam Ma'alian, so to speak, the mitzvahs represents Hashem's structure, spiritual structure. El Adam, so it says, Kain leva Adam, el Adam, hainubchines Adam, shebebri yitzir ha'asiyah kamashikasav udmus pnei and pnei Adam. There's two Adams. There's Adam Ma'alian, and then there's the Adam down here in the lower worlds. There was such an explosion of love. So therefore, it was a tremendous avin that their whole soul wanted to go up to him. That's why the Jewish people are called a kala, a bride. Al shame klois hanefesh. The word kala comes from the word klois hanefesh. The soul goes out; it yearns, it gate ois to its source. Kamashikasiv. The pasuk says achaisi kala. The pasuk says in Shirashinim, my sister is a kala matoiv udaydecha miyoyin. Your love is much better than wine. It says in Shirashinim, this is the klois hanefesh. This is the pshat that every dibur by Matan Torah, their souls flew out. What does it mean? The pashtas, you say, they were terrified. You know, there was like an earthquake and a volcano and a shoifer blowing. You terrify, you die from fear. He says, that's not the pshat. The pshat is, Parchanishmasan is really a metaphor. What it means is, their soul became his soul. Parchanishmasan, there was no any more ego resistance 
There's you, there's me, I'm more powerful than you, I'm going to show you who's the boss. And you're terrifying me, therefore I'm, I, I lose myself. Parchanesh means the complete alignment, complete oneness. There was no any more self-contained ego separate from you. The Ava was so deep that they felt, this is me, this is who I am. So their Neshama, independently, an independent, separate soul, so to speak, flew out where they be completely become, become, uh, become Davuk. That's why Chazal say he turned over a mountain on them. What's a mountain? He says, The concept of Har is, the Gemara says that Avram called, Hashem, called the place a mountain, Har Amiria. Avram is Ava. The Har represents the Ava El Yoyna. The love of Hashem. Why? He says, It's like a vat. The mountain, the vat, surrounds you. It surrounds you completely. And this is what triggered the love. In other words, this is the gigis. It's like a chibuk. When you hug somebody, so you create like a circle around them, like a mountain. You create something that surrounds them around and around. And therefore, there's no part of them that goes out of it because their whole self is included in it. Usually in a relationship, part of me is happy about it or not, and part of me resists it, right? If you're forcing me to do something and I need to do it for whatever reason, so part of me says yeah, and part of me says no, no, just begrudgingly. It's like you tell your teenager, you know, this is not how you sit at the table, right? So he goes away, he may do it, but there's a sour face which basically is telling you, part of me is not doing it. Part of me is not doing it. Part of me is telling you, I'm not part of your game. I'm not part of your show. Right? So, what's Kafalei Marke Gigis? The mountain is over you. There's no going anywhere. It surrounds you from all sides. In other words, there's no part of you that's out of the relationship. Because your whole identity embraces it. It's not I have one will, but you're bigger than me, you're stronger than me, you're more muscular than me, so what should I do? My will is your will. Your will is my will. That's the definite. That's the idea. Kafalem harkegigas. So when you say forced, what does forced mean? We learn forced means you don't want to do it. You're forced. Balatanya's teaching kafa means there was such an intense explosion of love. There was no way they could say no. It was too beautiful. It was too powerful to say. Well, I'm giving you this life. You're going to tell me no? sugar. You don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. Somebody gives you an offer, right? You have a job. You're making $100,000 a year, $70,000 a year, yeah, before taxes. <laughs> before taxes. And you have to pay your house. And you, Somebody offers you a job. He says, you come. So for starters, it's $300,000 a year after taxes. Plus you have a house, plus you have a car, plus you have this, plus you have this, plus you have this, plus you have this. So you come home to your wife and you say, we have no choice. We're taking it. Why don't you have a choice? Well, freedom, democracy. I'm an independent person. I don't surrender for pressure. Shaita. <laughs> this is the pressure you want to embrace. If this is called pressure, what's not? I mean, what, what's called freedom, right? Somebody says, I'm free. What are you free? You're free to make right choices. If you're free to make stupid choices, so then you're an idiot. You're not free. You know what I mean? A person says, I'm a free person, so I'm free, so I'm going to eat poison. You're free to make... Here you see something that's so powerful, so you're free to make this choice, and you really have no choice. <laughs> you have no choice. That's Kafaleim Harkegigas. Elakus was so geshmak, it was so powerful, it was so real, that by Matan Taina, the bittel came natural. It came natural. They said Nasa, of course Nasa. And Bemela, they could be Nishma, because they were completely one. Vizel, Pirish Masham, Razal, Mikan, Maidor, Rabbaloi, Raisa. If so, we have a big question. The Gemara says that basically it means Mikan that by Matan Torah was all first forced. He says this is what it means. I knew. To the point that it didn't come from their own initiative with their own. It doesn't mean they were forced literally. If it means they were forced literally, then he asked the question, by Haman they weren't forced. 
There was a tremendous gzeda. That's was ma'ayda them. That's not an oinus. The mountain is an oinus, and Haman is not an oinus. It's the same oinus. The pshat is that parcha neshmas and the bittel didn't happen because of their own toil. The hafti eschem amar Hashem, the display of love, brought it out in them. What happens by Achashvedish? They re accept Torah. He says, What's Pshat? When you say they re accepted Torah, it means they experience the same state of bittel that you need for Kabbalah Satorah. Kabbalah Satorah is Mashal Hakadmaini. It's the revelation of the Ein Saif. In order to experience the Ein Saif, you have to be able to go outside of yourself and transcend it. The Bittl then happened because of the Gili Malmaila. The Bittl by Achashvedish, there was no Isairus. Why? The Then there was a Matzav of concealment. Al Derech, like the famous Pasuk in Kaihelis, there's a time for everything. So he says, Ace. There's a time that the hug is distant. Sometimes you hug, he says, Eis lechabek. Sometimes it's a time to hug, and sometimes it's a time lerachek. It's a time to distance yourself. You can't, you can't be overprotective. He says, a time to speak. There's a time to be quiet. A time to fight. There's a time for peace. He goes through 28 periods. A time for this. A time for this. In Koyalas. So he says, by matan toiris yemini techapkeni. By Purim, it was a time of distance. Kamaimir Azal the Gemara says in Chulin, Esther menatayde minayin, the Ksiva Noichi, Haster, Aster, Panay Bayaimahu. I concealed my face that day. This means that what happened then was, this Eurus came completely from them. That's Pshat, they re accepted it with Ratsan Gamor. Because by Matan Torah was Kafalem Harke Gigis, there was a tremendous gili from above. So of course they couldn't resist it. How could you? By the time of Achashverus, there was concealment. Hanoichi Aster Aster. Nobody split the sea. There were no ten makas. There was no Matan Torah. There was no manna falling from heaven. There was no well of Miriam. It was a time of absolute concealment. Everything was happening according to nature. There was nothing going on heavenly, supernatural. They didn't see an explosion of a hafti Eschem Hashem Fakert. So the relationship then came completely from within. It was absolutely genuine and authentic, because even the first one is takamoyedik. But why is it coming? It's coming because you're showing me so much. Here they were completely on their own. This means that the relationship was in their kishkas. It was deep in their bones. Even in a time of concealment, they said, I'm not going to detach. I'm one with you. I'm part of you. This was the Chiddush of Purim over, over Matan and go to Biyarinyan. You see, a lot of places there's parentheses, which are essentially footnotes. Footnotes here, not, but they're saying other places there's parentheses which are footnotes of the Tzemachzadeh. But now he continues. Biyarinyan to explain this more. Yuvanal pimashakasov ish yehudi hayibushur shnabirush maimardechai ben yari ben shimi ben kish ish yemini. That's how the Megillah describes the tzarich lahav, and you have to understand the yemini piyusha shu meshevet ben yamin kidepidish Rashi. Rashi says Yemini means he comes from Benyamin because Benyamin was called Ben Yamin. Yemini is the man of Yemin, the right man, which is Benyamin. He came from Benyamin. Benyamin. So why do you call him Ish Yehudi? The word Yehudi is he comes from the tribe of Yehuda. We're called Yehudim because most Jews today come either from Yehuda or actually Benyamin. Because most of the ten Shvatim were exiled, so the only ones who remained were Yehudim and Yemen. Now, it could be you come from the other Shvatim, because they weren't all, they didn't all disappear, the majority of them disappeared, but there were still Jews from all the Shvatim. But most Jews come from Yehudim, so we're called Yehudim. By Mardechai, it's called Ish Yehudi, and then a second later you say, Ushmai Mardechai, Ben Shimi, Ben Kish, Ish Yemini. This is the question. The Gemara asks this question why he's called Yehudi. Why says maybe one is his mother's side, one is his father's side, right? From his father's side, he was from Benyamin, his mother's side was from Yehuda. But the question is the Pasik is Yehudi and then Yemini. That's the question. The Beautiful question. The first time in Tanakh, Jews are called Yehudim, as you know where? Which book? Huh? You don't know? Anybody knows? Megillus Esther. Till Megillus Esther, we're called Bnei Yisrael. Bnei Yisrael. 
Never Yehuda. Why? We're not all Yehuda. It's like discrimination, right? You'll say, you'll call Klal Yisrael Munsi Jews. It's Jews in Munsi. There's Jews in other places. Yehuda. All Jews are Yehuda. There's 12 Shvatim. The first time we're called Yehudim, that's our name, is in the Megillah. Lahashmid v'lagilam, that's kolay Yehudim. Frek the Balatanya, male of the Gzeda was on Yehudim. I got it, but the Gzeda was on all Jews. There were Jews from Ephraim, there were Jews from Menashe, there were Jews from Yemen, there were Jews from Yehudim. Yeah? Why are they all called Yehudim? It seems very, very strange. Very interesting question. Emes, huh? Emes. It was after the Golas of Aseris Hashvatim, but as I said before... The Galat Hashvatim didn't exile every single Jew that any Jew outside of Yehuda. First of all, there was a whole Shevet Binyamin that wasn't exiled because Yehuda Binyamin lived in the territory where they weren't exiled. The other ten, there were two. There was a split by the Jewish people. There was the Southern Kingdom and the Northern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom was exiled. That was ten Shvatim. The Southern Kingdom, Yehuda Binyamin, they were exiled. But there were Jews living there. You know, there was always mixed. Not every Jew disappeared. So by the, by she had all types of Jews. So why? What do, you, what do you gain by pointing out Dafke Yehudim? First of all, the whole Binyamin you exclude, the whole Binyamin, and there were all of them, or many of them, and, and even other Jews, that's his question. Ella shenikru kulam Yehudim. The reason they're called Yehudim is, Yehudim here takes on another meaning. The word Yehudim represents something. The word Yehuda includes two meanings. First of all, gratitude, thanks. Leah had a fourth son, and she says, now I'm going to thank Hashem. And she names him Yehuda. Like we say, or we say, is thank you, Yehuda. It's good to be thankful. That's number one. The second idea of Yehuda is to be Moida. Like you'll say, I'm Moida to you. It's not I'm thankful to you. I'm, um, I, um, I concede, I submit. The Gemara will say, right? I acquiesce. Or you'll say, He was Moida, he wasn't embarrassed. It's like, you'll be Moida, you made a mistake. It's a vulnerable act, you ask forgiveness and so forth. When we say, We mean thank you. Like Moida Anilafanecha, but it also means the bittel, the bittel of Haida, of submit. The ability of the Jew is to be a Yehudi, that his self, his identity becomes aligned with Hashem's identity. That's Yehudi. We have a Chazal, Ish Harabayas means the one who was in charge on the Harabayas. Mardechai was Ish Yehudi. He was the master of Yehudi. He personified it. He was like the Sar, the source of Bittl. He represented it. What's the source of Mardechai in Torah? And the Gemara answers, Esther we just learned, When they made the Shem and HaMishcha, they made the oil to anoint the Kayin Gadol and the king. So there were a lot of spices put into it. Different spices. One of them was called Moir, musk. We'll soon see what that is. The Targum says, Mira Dachia. Mardechai is Mira Dachia. Mardechai. That's the source of Mardechai and Taina. Mardechai. It's a very strange question, a very strange answer. Huh? We'll see in a minute. It's not bitter, but it's, it's a certain herb or animal. And this was put in, was one of the ingredients that was used for the oil that was then anointed, it anointed the kings and the Mizbeach and the Mishkan, the whole Mishkan. So first of all, what's the question, where is Mardachai in Tayyidah? Mardachai didn't live during the time of Tayyidah, he lived later. And it was, seems like a strange shidduch. So he says, Mar Zeladas Rambam, Usham Farshim, who Moshek, Musk, it's called Musk, Haniska Begamara, Peter Ketzad Mavarche. What is this? Shehudam Chaya Yadua. It's the blood of an animal called Yadua. It's basically a certain type of wild deer. Shenikrash Bechaitet Bechatoitres Shabetzavare Venasa Busam Hanikramar. The blood in her neck gets congealed and it turns into musk which is a delicious fragrance. So essentially her blood gets congealed in her neck in a certain place. We call it deer musk. It's very, very expensive. It has a tremendous fragrance. Today, they do it artificially. But the original, from this animal, 
from this animal, a musk deer, or deer, I think it's called a musk deer, and they take the musk from it, that's the moir the Rambam says. What does this mean? In Midas it represents transformation. Blood represents the passionate cravings of a person. Red, blood, passion, vitality. This blood becomes a fragrance. It's when you transform the animal cravings from the pleasures of this world that your pleasure becomes Hashem. This is the mosque. Which explains the big machlaikas about this mosque. says you're allowed to eat it. And that's why it was used. Others say it's a trefa animal. You can't eat it. You can use it for its smell, but not the thing itself you can't eat. That it actually becomes heter. What's their argument? Gemara discusses if when you do tshuva, the sins become like mistakes or the sins become like mitzvahs. Both represent that the sins go away. The ra gets transformed. This animal is a non-kosher animal. It's called the Yidoni. They would do black magic with it. To take this animal's blood and eat it, the fragrance. It's like the Ra becomes Mamash Toiv, the Avera becomes a Mitzvah. Because the Baal accomplishes what the Tzadah can't accomplish, that the sins should become Mitzvahs. If you do tshuva not with so much love, they become like mistakes. It's not like the Averis become good. They're just treated like inadvertent mistakes. That's why there's a second shit in Poiskim, that it's a good smell, but it's still not muter ba'achila. To say that it was mamish went through a transformation. There's, in other words, there's two levels of transformation. One is the negativity gets discarded. The person now has a beautiful fragrance. To say that it's muter to eat, meaning that which was treif becomes muter to eat. This is a whole other level of transformation. So those are the two shittas in Meir and Halacha really represent two shittas in transformation. As we're going to see, Mardachai represents that. Mardroid, and we'll see these two views, how they're experienced in the life of... Uh, of Mardachai. We'll continue Beis Hashem tomorrow. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.